Imagine you build this huge index of just content and somebody comes up and says, I'll, I'll pay you 10 million for that. It's like, that's one of my, my ex other goal is I want to create a business that has customers that don't pay me. Why does it got subscribers and heads? That's what I want. And that's why I'm so gung ho on creating this content and getting as much out of there as possible. So I can form it into a network. So then we can have people tuning in and seeing different shows on the same network. And now you have this massive thing that has all these eyeballs tuning in. I got all these different hosts for different shows and we brought it all in the house. It's all organized. It's all clicking. Boom, 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 boom. And then you have customers who don't pay you. We have customers who don't pay you. That's how you get a bill, like a billion dollar company. Nobody pays to use Instagram. Nobody pays to use Facebook. Nobody pays to use any of these things. That's what I want. I want that. I want a bunch of people who don't pay me who are associated with me. Tweet Talk episode 123. Are we on the air? Tweet Sugar. Talk. What it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Yes. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Meganer himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. With your host, Raphael, that's myself. You can find me on Twitter at Work From Life. I'm my partner, Charles Oglesby III, JD. Find him on Twitter at Real Todd Billion because there are no substitutes. Welcome to Tweet Talk, where we talk about building black wealth and we dissect these financial tweets. What's happening, Charles? Just getting serious about business. Business is serious when it's your actual source of income. It's not really... You got to be really intentional about what you do. Um, it's funny because I was talking to... I was talking to um, Ariel this morning and we were talking about how I'm kind of going to do away with the personal page <clears throat> and only promote the business page. Like everything that is related to me goes through the business page. And um, I asked her what she thought about that. And she was like, it makes sense because it's difficult to, to, it's like with all that goes into building up something like that, it's tough to build multiple. And I was like, you're right. And it's like, I hate to put quality content on one page and I can't put it on the other page or whatever that looks like, because Instagram doesn't like when you post it on both pages. But I realized like as an entrepreneur, like everything is your business. Everything is your business and your vehicles, your business, the clothes that you wear, your business, the things in the background of your business, everything is constant business because we live and die by this. Um, the bills don't get paid and the business don't run. Like I could be as dope as I want to be, but if it's not being associated with the business, it doesn't matter. And so like there's things like once you get to this other side, when it's 100 percent entrepreneurship, it's not what you think it is. It's not like it's not it, it's not what you think it is when you work a job. It, it's a lot more serious. And so um, <clears throat> that's what I'm focused on. I'm focused on ramping up content, putting out more information, putting out more stuff consistently, meeting a lot of really cool people, being intentional about my thumbnails, about everything. Everything matters because at this point we're building something massive. And so even if you don't bring a dollar through the door, you still you still put a brick. Even if you don't get a sale, you still lay a brick. And so right now it's like, how many bricks are we laying? How can we work that out? And how can I start getting sponsored posts? How can I start getting all these different things through the podcast, all that, and really building it up as a source of income and a source of revenue, because I think it could turn into an entire television network, which is going to be crazy. So I have a lot of plans and, you know, it's, it's never just this. Like a lot of people think like, oh, we've talked about this before. I was listening to it. I was like, oh, it's options. No, no, it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. Oh, it's rental properties. It's Detroit. Rental pro no, it's, it's never just one thing. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm working on. Got you, got you. 
I see you, man. You in the office, shirt and tie. No more playing. No playing around. Yep. Business, 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 business. Let's get into these tweets. You said beast mode and business allows you to go beast mode investing. I was talking to my mom and she was saying how, because <clears throat> I was telling her like my dividends have increased substantially lately. So what started out <clears throat> as paying a fraction of my mortgage now pays all of my mortgage. And so a lot of people will hear that and they're like, oh, I need dividends. And it's like, no, you need what allowed me to acquire that much dividend paying stock. That's two different things. If I got enough dividends to pay for my mortgage, that's not a little bit of money. But I didn't get there by investing and reinvesting and working a job and doing all that stuff. And so <clears throat> again, it goes back to what I always say, where sometimes we see things and we think that that's what wealthy people do. Like, no, you got to look at what the wealthy people did to become wealthy. And so beast mode in her business, going all in on her business, continuing to double down on her business is going to get her to the point where she has the assets that take care of that. And it's, it's, it might sound like I'm being a jerk. It might sound like I'm just like, Oh, Charles is saying like, no, like, is that serious? This stuff is serious. This stuff is pay your mortgage. You got a home. You don't got a home serious. It's not a game. Like just how serious people take their jobs. I take my business because it gives me everything that I want. Not just a few things that I want. A lot of times a job's going to give you enough. It's not going to give you everything that you want. And a lot of us, if we were to make a list of all the things that we want, what would be those things? Being able to take care of my child, being able to put them in a great school, being able to make sure my wife didn't have to work, being able to travel whenever I want to, being able to fly first class. Those things matter. Really make a list. Make a list. What kind of watch do you want? What kind of car do you want to drive? What kind of neighborhood do you want to live in? And if your job is not giving you that, and it most likely is not, you need to find out what you're going to do to get that. And it's probably going to be a business and taking your actual value to the open market. And so by doing that, now you're going to get what you want. And so <clears throat> the job's not going to do it. And when you double down on that, you start to see that abundance. You start to, when you make $1,000 a day, you can't spend $1,000 a day. What do you do with the excess? You invest it. If you make $40,000 in a day, you can't spend $40,000 a day. What do you do with that excess $39,500? You invest it. And so when you go beast mode in business, beast mode investing happens by default. There's people out there with so much money that all they can do with it is invest because they just make so much of it and it's just sitting there. It's like, bro, like, what am I going to do with all this cash in here? It's just getting stale. And so you got to position yourself to that point. And I don't think a lot of us think that way. A lot of us think, oh, work my job. 401k, wait until 62, not no, I'm going to work really, really hard. I'm going to make $2 million this year. I'm going to live off $100,000. I'm going to be able to invest 1.9, actually not, not 1.9 because taxes are mother. And so like you, but you, but you can, you can invest that. Investing is a given when you crush it in business. And that's what they don't tell us. We think, oh, I'm going to invest my way to the top. And I thought that for a long time, I thought I was going to rental property my way to the top, not realizing the you know, rental property is where you put your money to preserve it. You got excess cash for buying some rentals. Why? Because the income is going to sustain the asset and the appreciation is going to take over. That's what you're, it's, a, it's an inflation play. Really, you're just trying to keep your cash protected against inflation. It's not a get rich quick. It's not any of that stuff. Anybody who's making a bunch of money in real estate that's doing rehabs is in the business of real estate. Those aren't the same thing. And that's why you'll get a lot of people who have a lot of money in business that'll passively give you money to do your flips because they are an investor, but they're really a business owner. And then you are the person who's in business of turning that piece of property into something lucrative. And so that's all I would say is that we got to, I mean, of course we want to be investors, but do not think that you're going to be able to pay your mortgage with 
$2,000 worth of dividend paying stock because most of these dividend paying stocks, a good one's paying like 6% per year, $2,000, that's $120. A year, that's $12 a month. What you going to do with $12 a month? You right. can't even pay your phone bill with that. So $2,000 isn't going to make it. It's like my favorite book, Choose Yourself. He says, the only true retirement is when you create something that can generate massive amounts of cash flow that allows you to then put that money to work, create something, build something, invent something that allows you to put massive amount of cash away. That's a business. I just talked to Ariel Karsh, made half a million dollars in 12 months. Massive. You can't spend a half a million dollars. They're going to tax you on it, but um, that's how that works. Well, some people uh, want to prove you wrong. Like, I think there's too many people that, you know, just started getting real money and they're jumping straight to the lifestyle, like cars, the houses. They might be skipping a lot, a lot of that investing, doing a lot of risky stuff they see on, on right. the brand. I would have to agree with that statement. Uh, unfortunately, we, we aren't used to making this big money. So you know, sometimes they go wild and out. But I mean, progress is progress. But um yeah, I, I I did kind of think that way before too, though. That, you know, if you just invest the money you have, like you know, that's the way to go because that's what rich people do. But then you kept saying you got to get the capital first, man. And business is the way to get the capital. Then you can really invest properly. Like it takes big money to make big money. Right. You're not you're not getting the big money with a a job, generally speaking, unless you got a really great paying job. But even then, like you probably got a high standard of living too. That's the problem. Yep. I saw a quote. It said that a large majority of people who make are millennials and make over $100,000 are living paycheck to paycheck. You can't invest if you live in paycheck to paycheck. If you earn, we don't talk about this a lot, <clears throat> but most people that earn a lot of money live in a place where it costs a lot of money to live. So an example of this would be Jane Esquire on Twitter. And she's always talking about how she don't got no money, but she's a lawyer and she makes great money, but she lives in Los Angeles. And then also what happens when you get a lot of money, you become kind of bougie where there's certain things that you could do to prevent yourself from being paycheck to paycheck, but you are above it, especially in work a job when you know that check is coming. So I was like, move to Inland Empire. I don't want to commute. All right, we'll continue to pay $4,000 a month on, on rent to live in Los Angeles. And then you got a Tesla because you can't be you can't make two hundred thousand dollars or whatever amount of money she makes and not have a fly whip. And you can't not have the flyers clothes and you can't make sure your hair is not done and you can't do all this other stuff. And so they've, they've shown there's a book where he was talking about how if you take like a lawyer and you take a plumber and they both earn the same amount of money, the plumber is going to end up being wealthier. Why? Because the plumber wears the same coveralls every single day. The plumber drives that same truck every day. The plumber don't got to worry about getting his haircut. The plumber don't need a nice watch. The plumber don't need to live in the fanciest house. And he makes just as much money as you. But what does he do with his excess? He stacks it. He invests it. And that's how he gets ahead, even though he's not as fancy. Right. And this certain jobs like lawyers and doctors, they got to stick with that status quo. You can't be pulling up to the practice in the Toyota if you're a doctor man, making 200000 They're going to play you. If you live in a certain neighborhood, it's like, I remember, I think that book was probably either Millionaire Next Door or the next one, The Millionaire Mind. And they were talking about a guy who was rich. I guess he was a business owner. He moved into the neighborhood and he was mowing his lawn. And they sent him a message like, bro, we don't mow our own lawn around here, man. Mm. <laughs> like, you got to cut that out. So stuff like that, man, that will keep you poor. And you said, um, the other two, you say, you do all that work to not have a boss. And guess what? The government is now your boss. Yeah. Um, the government is your boss, man. And I think a lot of times, maybe on the job, they insulate you from that fact and how intertwined the government is into business. Um, all these regulations, all these laws, all these certifications and licenses, like 
You can't move without paying the government. You can't move without filing some documents or doing all these other crazy things like it's real. And so, like, I think that was one of the shockers for me is like, man, like it's a lot that goes into this besides just making the money. Um, I mean, tax documents and tax, like I actually got penalized on my taxes because even though I was making money and I paid the taxes, I didn't pay them quarterly. And so you have to make estimated quarterly taxes. And if you don't make estimated quarterly taxes, they're going to take that extra money and it ain't small money. Thankfully, I have a CPA who went and took care of it because she deals with this all the time. And she called, make a few phone calls and she saved me like $60,000 in like penalties. And um, that was cool. But it's just interesting because, I mean, we've listened to Steve Harvey. He was $22 million in tax debt. And this happens not just to Steve Harvey. If you read Will Smith's book, it happened to him. If you read Kevin Hart's book, it happened to him. And I'm sure countless other people who haven't volunteered their story. But it's tough when you make a lot of money and like the government just wants a lot of money, especially when you go from not making a lot of money and you don't ever have to even worry about the the government. In fact, they're probably sending you money. And so to have the government asking for $60,000, that's some, like, that'll make you look at the government a little bit differently because you got folks out there on the timeline with Gucci, Louis, Fendi in Miami having a good old time and they the government sent them 10 grand. And you want 60 grand from me and I'm working and they living. Like, that's interesting. But I would just say, when you get into business, make sure you do your research and figure out any laws, regulations, uh, governing boards, any of that stuff, because if you don't find them, they're going to find you. And uh, just make sure you are doing what you got to do, because uh, it can be very stressful, very frustrating. It's not uncommon as a business owner. I know so many business owners who have been audited, um, so many business owners who have gone through situations with the regulators. It's really just a part of business, but it's your responsibility to learn these things so you can be proactive. So for example, even with like doing a flip, man, you do a flip and there's a building department. They never talk about this stuff on the flipping shows. They never talk about this stuff on Instagram. But when you do a flip, man, you got to deal with inspectors. You got to deal with permits. You got to deal with all that stuff that they don't talk about. All they tell you is I bought the house for hundred grand, put 50 into it and it's worth 250. They don't tell you like, no, you got to have all these things in a row. They don't tell you that, but you're going to find out. And hopefully you're going to find out before you pay the contractor money who wasn't licensed to do it and didn't pull the permits. Now you got to go pay somebody who can pull the permit so that you can get it expected, so you can get it approved, so you can sell the house. It costs you double and you're going to learn in the process. But basically, the government is everywhere and they're going to be involved in what you got going on. So make sure that you do what you got to do. Both hands in your pockets. Yeah, man, it's crazy. Yeah, you said America isn't a meritocracy anymore. Everything is pay to play. What you mean by that? I was uh, rolling up to a meeting at a doctor's office and I noticed that everybody there had USC license plates. And I was like, it's interesting because to get into USC, it's not about how smart you are. It's about how connected you are, how connected your parents are, how much money they can afford to spend to send you to the right schools, to put you in the right programs, to all these different things. The average public school student does not go to USC. USC is like the cream of the crop around here. You got USC. Maybe US, UCLA might be a little bit more lenient, but to get into USC, they need perfect SAT scores. They need perfect grades. They need extracurriculars, things that the average person can't, can't do. And honestly, it's by design. Like, it's really unfortunate. And this is one of the things that I was going to, I was trying to figure out a way because I just made this real. And it was like, we brainwashed, bro, like the Kanye thing. And it's like, 
they're going to tell stories about what we're living through right now because we went from like blatant, obvious slavery, blatant, obvious segregation to covert segregation and covert slavery. It's still present. You just can't see it. And they're going to look at it like, dang, like they was really out there, like have folks out there integrated. They didn't even know they was integrated. They were segregated because segregation still exists. You go to certain places, you don't feel comfortable. You go to Orange County, you don't feel comfortable. You go to those neighborhoods in, Cali- in Orange County, it ain't a lot of black people there. And so like a TikTok comedian said, he's like, they don't have like segregation anymore. Now they have prices. So everything just costs more. The school costs more. It's not a white school. It's just an expensive school. <laughs> it's not uh, a, a restaurant or hotel. It's just too expensive for you. And so we're going to look back and they're going to be like, damn, like in the retrospect, like it was, it was, it was really some jacked up stuff because you got people who, and this is what frustrates me about the debates that we see on the internet all the time, those constant debates about black men not being able to pay for this and not being able to pay for that. And we didn't realize like it's by design, fam. They literally are in a system that doesn't employ you, doesn't promote you, doesn't allow you to get access to these things. And then the women are like, well, you broke and you ain't shit. And it's like, well, you know, we kind of have a system that promotes you, puts you in places to do things, uh, uh, caters to you and allows you to make a bunch of mistakes, make a bunch of kids and still be in a good position to have a good job. I have a lot of cousins who like they made a bunch of mistakes, but they still were doing all right. They're still doing all right because there's a lot less pressure even when you make mistakes, when the government swoops in and gives you a, a big tax credit or gives you free food or gives you free housing or uh, accommodated housing, it's a lot less pressure. And so they're doing better, but they don't realize like, no, like it's by design. Another thing that I think that does covert is how they split up the family. In the beginning, they were blunt about it. They are like, we don't want the man and the woman together. As soon as you hit those shores, they're splitting up the family. Now they figured out how to split up the family without us knowing the family's been split up. We do it to each other, just like most of the black killings are done by black people. Now they, the, the family is divided by black people and people don't want to accept it. They don't want to know that it's really going on, but it's in your face. They just think that it's because he broke and he want to take you on a $20 date. Like, no, you idiots. We're brainwashed. We don't even know what's going on. We're literally doing their work for them, calling each other the N-word for them, calling women bees for them. And, and it's like, it's very difficult to have people understand and see this, but it's really going on. And, and, and it's not to be taken lightly. It's not just to be like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, no, this stuff has actual consequences. This stuff, Black people not living together, not being able to function together because he's broke and he don't want to take you stuff, that has actual consequences because it's not just about the dates. It's not just about the Gucci, the Louis, the Fendi. That doesn't matter. You need the stability of the household. You need the stability of two incomes. The children need the stability. They need to be able to have that diversity of incomes where maybe if she's not working, he's working. If he's not working, she's working. We go so much further as a team. And then when you're not just out there spreading your seed all over the place and you're more focused because you have one woman and all these different really good things happen when you keep the family together. We're over here just like, yeah, I'm not going to F with you because of all these things that society told me are important. And you're out there struggling. And I, I know people who have kids and they said it didn't work with the child's father and now they're out there struggling. And we can we can make the struggle look pretty, but it's still a struggle. My thing is, I just want us to know that it's all a big plan and we got to wake it up and we got to we got to see this for what it is. We can make the struggle look pretty, but it's still a struggle. Hold on one second. When you say we could make the struggle look pretty, but it's still a struggle, like 
I get frustrated when I see people that feel struggling in so many ways, but then because people feel like they're so powerless, instead of trying hard to fix the situation, it's more like we got to make it look good. Like, make it look like it's all right. Like, so what if I'm in the hood? So what if I'm on food stamps or whatever? I'm still fly or it's all right. I don't need a man or, or I don't need a woman or I don't need this or whatever. It's like, nah, it's not good. It's, you're just trying to make it make it look pretty because you don't feel like you got the power to actually change it. So you're trying to make your power powerlessness look like it's some form of power but it's really not and things are just going to get worse now that inflation is what they said it's seven percent you know, gas prices going through the roof grocery prices going through the roof things are just going to get worse before they get better if people don't wake up and just get their incomes up i don't hear them laughing at twitter llc anymore or yeah. llc twitter <laughs> it doesn't like, exist anymore because we got joe biden man and everybody want to get a tech job let's talk about that real quick because I know you say that sometimes, but we never really address it. You say everybody's talking about getting tech jobs, and that is true. Now, I got a, my opinion on that, and obviously you got your opinion that I think is a little different. But what's your what's your issue with that? I think I know what it is, but what's your issue with that? Is um, that this is just a job? It's still a job at the end of the day? Yeah. I mean, even if it pays well, and we've already talked about high salary jobs, the crazy thing about a high salary job and even like a mid-salary business is all the benefits and perks that come with the business. Um, being able to pass it down, uh, all the freedoms and luxuries that come with it. And also the security of knowing that it can't be taken away from you that in six months or th- in t- six minutes, walking in like, ah, now we don't want you no more. So that's one thing. Um, I mean, I'm not necessarily against it. It is what it is. I don't want to be that person who like reigns on people's praise. Like I think it's great, but I think we need to have both. We need to have, we, it can't just be either or with us. It can't just be either all job or all business, all business, no job. And I feel like there's a shift going on where everybody was talking business ownership, what they're creating, what they're doing, what they're building. And we've seen the results of that. We've seen actually really successful things come out of that. And now that we don't have somebody in office who really pushes business ownership and all of that, now everybody wants to get high paying jobs. And that's scary. We have gone through generations of Black people having high-paying jobs. The reason why a lot of the homeownership in Southern California exists is because they're able to make a bunch of money at high-paying jobs. The reason why there's a lot of um, like homeownership in Detroit is because of all the factories and all the high-paying jobs. The problem is you got to think about not just your job and your income, but you got to think about your kids. You got to think about your kids. And a lot of those kids who ain't shit, hanging them out to shit, who haven't done anything with their lives are because maybe their grandparents or their parents might've had good jobs, but you can't pass that down. And so it's like, what are you foregoing when you run towards the job? I think a better thing is to create some tech companies. I don't want to be a tech employee. Let's create a tech company. So that's one of my goals. And that's what I'm trying to get into the app space. So I'm trying to, I'm getting to the software space because if you think a digital product is dope, imagine like a software product that is crazy dope. And so that's kind of where I'm trying to take my business and my brand to that space. And that's what we should be aspiring towards. And yeah, there's people out there that are doing it. It's, I mean, there's a lot of black founders out there creating different companies, but for the most part, just the Twitter conversation that's centered around tech jobs as a quick come up, an easy come up. You don't have to do anything. You can just get a little cert. You can go get six figures. And another thing is like, how, how long is that going to last? Is that sustainable? Is that something that's just like here today, gone tomorrow? So I'm not anti it at all. I just, um, I'm always thinking ownership. I'm always thinking creating my own. I'm Dame Dash to this. It's like, no, nah, we don't need your Grammys. We'll build our own Grammys. 
And it's funny because Dame Dash is consistently that way. But you know who else is consistently that way? Asian culture. The reason why Asians have so much wealth is because they'll build it, it all themselves. And that's what you got to do as an intelligent company. Like, oh, shoot, we don't got a bank. We created a bank. Oh, shoot. We don't got a grocery store. We created a grocery store. We don't got a dentist. We created a dentist. We got We created a law firm. We created this. We created this. We created this. We created a golf course. And that's how you obtain wealth. You don't obtain wealth chasing after what somebody else has created. And that's what happens when you get a Democrat in office. You end up seeing inclusion as the win. You end up seeing, oh, we got a, a black Supreme Court justice as a win. That's a win for her and her white husband, but that's not a win for black folks. It's not a win. It's the impression of a win. It's going to do the same thing that happened when we got Barack Obama in office. We thought that was the greatest thing ever. What long-term success did that create? I don't see none. In fact, it might have made people lose a whole half a whole decade. They lost eight years waiting on him and they're going to lose another four years waiting on Joe. And he's going to do little things that kind of like pander and make it look as though he's four year progress but aren't actually for your progress. And so that's all I would say is like, we need actual tangible progress, not the illusion of progress. And these jobs usually don't do it. That's why I'm anti-job period. I couldn't, I couldn't go back, man. I can't go back. Can't go back. Can't go back. <laughs> Yo, it's the options trading workshop presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 inside money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio on Instagram at partner with Millie or on Instagram at Todd.capital or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Yeah, I wanted to give you clarification on that because I want to see how against it you were. Because me, I, I kind of like it. Like, I like the idea of people getting the incomes up, like people getting the incomes up, getting some skills. That's the thing that we're missing. Like, part of the reason, like, we didn't have good jobs, like, a lot of us are missing skills. And I like the idea that people are skilling up, getting higher paid jobs. What I don't like is if it's painted as an either or, like you said, like, like, Forget them talking about building a business when you could just have a, a nice cushy job and right. with a big with a big salary and time off and work from home and stuff like bump that stupid business stuff. Like that's what I don't like. And like I don't think we should be looking to get to tech jobs and then thinking that's the end all be all. Like then we get comfortable. Now we could afford a fancy car, we could afford vacations. Like it doesn't stop there. You still need to do all the stuff that it's gonna take to get us to where we need to go. Still have to have ownership. It can't be all this great Robert Kiyosaki. Grant Cardone stuff about houses liability, but we got a nice fat salary where somebody else still controls, and then we still got we still getting a check from somebody else, and we still paying our checks to other people because they are our landlords and stuff like that. So I don't like that part of it. But to me, like scaling up and getting your income up as a springboard to a stepping board to something else. I like that part. Yeah, I don't. It seemed to me like we were just abandoning business ownership. Like ah, we found something better and easier and faster, so we're gonna do this. I don't, I don't, I don't like that as a strategy. Right. I say, get into the tech. Go ahead. Get your skills up. Use that money with purpose to get you some ownership, something you can leave to your kids, and also eventually, hopefully, somebody's going to start creating the tech companies that will give people jobs, give black people jobs. Because even if black people get into tech jobs, even if it's quote unquote easy, we're still going to be last hired, first fired, regardless. No matter how much skills we get, it's, it's, it still doesn't change. It still doesn't change that part of it. So it, it, it's definitely a good thing, but you got to look beyond just getting, quote unquote, a good job. 
But we see a lot of we see we see some people out there doing some good things, man. We see Callum Lee out there. I know a lot of people with good jobs who still don't got no money. I'm mm-hmm. like, that's crazy to me. Like, how are you getting all these promotions and you got debt, you got no savings, nothing substantial? I'm like, that's crazy to me. That's another reason why I didn't do it. Cause I know people who have worked, got good jobs, been crushing it, and at the end of their life, they don't got nothing to show for it. Like, I didn't want that to be me. And that's why I wasn't gung-ho, like, oh, I'm going to just be a professional, hardworking, raise up in the ranks. I'm going to make partner one day. I was like, I already seen through that, fam. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not me. Well, we see the Ken Lee out there. I mean, that got, that that's going to make that brother a very wealthy man. He's already at, like, um, he already, he's already at least at a billion-dollar valuation or more. Funny thing is, though, as far as tech goes, I see... Uh, Mostly, most of the innovation comes from Africa. Yeah, you know, all the all the big tech stores I see are coming from Africa, which is weird to me. All these fintech companies popping up in Africa. I feel like it's a it's a different mindset, man. I was watching that. Uh, there's this new young, rich, famous African show on Netflix, and um, I can only imagine what it must be like to grow up where like you don't feel like your skin color is a necessarily hindrance. I won't say a bad thing because apparently they'd be out there bleaching their skin, but uh, like the world is your oyster. The It's actually more developed than you would think. I just brought in an intern who actually is in Kenya mm-hmm. and like we have access to the internet now. So the sky is really the limit and it kind of speaks to what I always say. Like if you have a lot of problems, you have a lot of opportunities. So maybe a lot of the innovations coming just because they're spotting all these different problems that they can solve. And so now they're creating solutions for them. Whereas what we do here is we vote. <laughs> we see problems and we vote. They see problems and they create stuff. Because, yeah, it's like you said, you said this many times before, like it should be not easy, but it's kind of easy for black people to get rich and build up because the key to that is solving problems. And we got the most problems. So. Yeah. And like, it doesn't even have to be something super fancy. I was just on the internet and Dan Gote just opened up a 2.3, I want to say billion dollar fertilizer facility, a fertilizer facility, Raphael. Apparently it's the second biggest in the world, but the largest in Africa. And I was like, what the heck do you need fertilizer for? Crops. And so that's how you get rich. That's how you get rich. We want to sell the crops. He is selling the things that you use to make the crops. B2B. B2B is one of, it's something I'm learning. Like you want to be B2B. You want to know why you want your customers to be B2B is because when a business owner spends money, he's incentivized to do it. Hence all the write-off gurus that you see on the internet. It ain't free. You still got to pay for it. (laughs) Then also um, because it's an investment. And so if I'm spending $10,000 on fertilizer, it's because I'm going to make $100,000. I might not net $100,000 because you got staff, you got equipment, you have all those different things, but your $10,000 is factored in because it's a different kind of a cost. It's an investment, not an expense. I want my customers to be investing, not spending, because they're going to get a return on their investment. They're not going to get a return on that expense, aka liability. And so this brings me up another thing is if you guys saw the commercial tire company, they made like $4.6 million selling the tires that go on trucks. Everybody want to sell semi-trucks. Don't nobody want to sell the tires that go on semi-trucks. And I bet you we can get them on this podcast for because sure. we're able to connect with them out in DC. But um, like that's how we got to start seeing stuff is like that kind of stuff. But I mean, we have the opportunity here. The same struggles that they got in Africa, we got in America for the most part. It's a lot of folks that live in, a, in the live 
a third world experience in a first world country. If you go to Watts, if you go to certain parts of Detroit, if you go to certain hoods, Baltimore, Philly, that ain't first world living. Yeah, you got running water, but like you still can't go outside. Like you live in a war zone. You live in the Mideast, Chicago, pretty much every area. Houston, just saying. It's funny. It looks it looks prettier though. Like could be broken in the United States, but you feel like you still got a good life compared to someone in Africa. Maybe, yeah. But but these Af- these African people, I mean, they solve these problems like they see in um we got cell phones, but we don't have a lot of like desktops and computers and there's so much corruption in, in banking and stuff. So it's like we gotta create these fintech solutions. And that's what they just keep doing. Like and it's not like you see one fintech going public raising a lot of money. It's almost every at least once a month you see some story about some African company just raise a billion dollars, a hundred million, three hundred got bought by uh, PayPal or Stripe or somebody like that. It's like it just keep popping up. Just keep popping up. Speaking of raising money, but this segment of Black Billionaire Banter saw the story the other day about Rihanna and her company, Savage Play Fenty, the underwear lingerie lingerie line. They are exploring going public, They're reaching out and seeing what the options are, and then we value them at $3 billion plus. I thought that was really interesting. That's a big move that we don't see black people making much anymore. And they still wonder why Rihanna isn't making music. I think that sets a precedent, which is really cool. Um, That valuation seems very low, $3 billion. I mean, in the era that we live in, we got trillion-dollar companies and the amount of following that she has. But when you go public, you can always increase that valuation. So just because you started $3 billion doesn't mean you stay at $3 billion. I mean, a lot of companies, I mean, Apple wasn't always a trillion-dollar company. That's how you do it, y'all. That's the real wealth. Build a company, take it public, increase the revenue, and then blow it up even more. So, like, you don't just stop at going public. Going public is the starting point. So, I mean, yeah, man. I, I remember uh, there's a, a new, quote, Black billionaire who created that company. I forget what it's called. There's like a data company. They took it public like about a year ago. He's already a billionaire. But that's just the beginning. Because, I mean, Elon Musk, when he took Tesla public, it was like compared to what it is now. Like now he's the richest person in the world. Amazon, same thing. You become the richest person in the world by growing that company on a stock exchange. Not just by making a bunch of money. I mean, you make a bunch of money. But growing the value of a company is big, big, big wealth. And that's what, again, why I say we got to stack these bricks. Because it's not so much just the sales. It's the value of what you're creating. Imagine you build this huge index of just content and somebody comes up and says, I'll, I'll pay you 10 million for that. So it's like, that's one of my, my ex other goal is I want to create a business that has customers that don't pay me. Why does got subscribers and heads? That's what I want. And that's why I'm so gung ho on creating this content and getting as much out of there as possible. So I can form it into a network. So then we can have people tuning in and seeing different shows on the same network. And now you have this massive thing that has all these eyeballs tuning in. I got all these different hosts for different shows and we brought it all in the house. It's all organized. It's all clicking. Boom, 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 boom. And then you have customers who don't pay you. We have customers who don't pay you. That's how you get a bill, like a billion dollar company. Nobody pays to use Instagram. Nobody pays to use Facebook. Mm-hmm. Nobody pays to use any of these things. That's what I want. I want that. I want a bunch of people who don't pay me who are associated with me. And I can monetize that. Yeah, because it's it's about con these these businesses, they're all about content and not subs, not necessarily subscribers, but people on the platform. Creating a bunch of content and getting a bunch of people to jump on the platform, eyeballs on everything, so they could sell advertising. Yep. 
Yeah, not not just straight up charging people money like you gotta pay money to see this, which is weird to me when I see newspapers trying to charge you to read articles, Bloomberg and stuff like that. Like, fam, I'm not paying you to to read articles, man. Right. I just, I just click away from it, and it sucks because it comes through like Apple. Apple's like, hey, this is an interesting article. You could try to read it. It's like, <laughs> now you gotta pay, fam. Yeah, I hate that. Google does that too. Like, oh, this looks interesting. You click on it. It's like, ah, your you, your free um your free reading is done for this month. Like, all right, whatever you say, I guess I'll be going elsewhere. You said um, and things get tight. Smart people get creative. Um, I forgot where that came from. Oh, so I was in Watts and I was at the I was at the uh, the restaurant and they were battling with the city for a long time because they bought this land and um, they bought this. So their family owned this land, a bunch of black families own land in Watts and they decided they want to build a freeway. Where do you build freeways in the middle of black communities? Historically, that's just what happened. And so they uh, were there and their family was one of the smart families that didn't sell. Imagine that. Imagine what happens when you actually listen to what the fuck we tell you to do. And you don't sell your property. And you hold on to it. And now you're a multimillionaire. And so um, they didn't sell, but a part of their property was still, I guess, considered owned by Caltrans. Caltrans had neglected it, so they were using it. Um, and then Caltrans came and they're like, hey, we want everything. We we want like, I guess, a part of the property that they were using had a piece of the store on it, like the restaurant. And so they were going to have to like knock down the building in order to keep it going. Anyway, look at that. Um, Are we talking about Hawkins? Yeah, Hawkins. So anyway, um, I was over there. Apparently, they settled with the with the the city, and um, they had a bunch of containers on the old land that they used to use as a parking lot. And so I was like, I didn't think anything about it when I was there. And then um, I was like, you know what? They might be building something with those containers. Like that's a thing these days is to build things with containers. And there was so many there, and they were stacked up. I was like, they they got to be doing something with this. And so I sent her a text like, Are they doing something with that? with that uh the land in those containers and she said they're building homes for homeless people and i was like that is dope because california is expensive you can build a container home for nothing um and one of the most expensive things is just the structure all the car and, and it's not even a part of the reason why the structure is so expensive is because they're going to charge you a lot of money for the labor it ain't the wood i mean these days it kind of is the wood but it's also the labor you're just paying for labor when you're doing construction. It's not even the materials. Materials don't cost shit. It's the labor. I'm telling y'all. And so. And transporting that heavy. Thing, yeah. But that too, especially these days because of gas. But I was like, that's interesting how creative they got because knowing how expensive Los Angeles is, now they're able to build like 50 homes for a fraction of the cost. I Googled the cost of a container. A container costs $3,000. $3,000 for a container, Raphael. Like that's nothing. And so, yeah, you got to build it out. You got to put in the electrical, the plumbing, but that's really just running wires. Electrical, the plumbing, that's really it. Electrical plumbing, maybe some HVAC, maybe a little AC or whatever they decide to do. But like building that compared to an actual house is really, really convenient. Another thing that I noticed is that like in California, you can add an accessory dwelling unit. My parents have a house with a decent amount of land on it because it can be used as a pool. And my sister is in a situation where she can't afford to buy because it's so expensive over there. Like my parents paid three fifty for their house, and now they want seven hundred for it in all the other neighborhoods. So she can't pay seven hundred dollars for seven hundred grand for a house. And to rent out there is like crazy expensive. But if they were to put an accessory dwelling unit on their property on land they already own, they could probably build a house for one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. One hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, but a hundred, but a thousand square foot little accessory dwelling unit, like a little apartment. 
But if you were to go try to buy that or try to like rent something a thousand square feet, she's going to be paying like twenty two hundred a month versus if she pays one hundred and twenty five to have this thing built, they're paying like six hundred bucks a month. That's an eighteen hundred dollar difference. But like when things get tight, people get creative. And so that's where a lot of the creativity and the innovation comes from. And that's why we a lot of times have that advantage. We got to start looking at the things that we don't have as disadvantages and start seeing them as an advantage. Because now you have, it's not just money a lot of times. A lot of people think it's just money. Like, oh, I just got to put money in it. No, like sometimes it's just like innovation and thought and creativity. And that tightness is going to push you to that space. Todd Consultant presents the Vending Machine Business Webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Yeah, it's funny. It made me think of um, Nella Ferguson, this lady that uh, Abby of OKF and Shades introduced me to. So I wanted to inter- I, I meant to interview her about just a, a handbag company. Mm-hmm. And then during the conversation, I realized she was like, she was like a hustler. She is a hustler. Like she didn't just have the handbag cup. She has a regular job. She had the handbag cup on the side, which is getting the goods from made in Sierra Leone in Africa. Mm-hmm. But also her husband have a house and they, they have like a guest house or something. They turn that guest house into an event space. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And I was like, I was like, man, this is the middle of COVID. So like, how did that happen? She's like, oh, business was booming during COVID. Like she had all these wedding receptions and stuff there. It was like, she just got creative with it, man. I was like, man, that's crazy. That's cool. And, like she's got a regular job she's got a handbag company her husband is running the event space her husband's in real estate and i guess have so much stuff going on it just kind of combine it like between her skills and her husband's skills they combine with the real estate it's like it reminds me you you had a tweet also you said what makes cities great is an abundance of collective energy invested in that one space yeah man um I was just driving through my hometown and I was like, I don't got to invest anywhere else. I could literally just figure out a way to put a play on out here and be very, very prosperous. And I was like, well, that's the kind of mindset that everybody has to take with where they are. It's like, I don't got to go out of state. I don't have to do anything over here, over there. It's like, let's just start building in this one spot. And then what's cool is you can start building up. So if it gets expensive, you don't have to like go somewhere else. You're like, okay, well, it's expensive here, but it doesn't cost. I don't have to buy any more land if I buy, if I build two, three, four stories on top. So let's do that. And you're seeing that in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, they're knocking down single family homes and building up. They might knock down two or three homes and they're going to build eight apartments or eight condos or 12. They're going to build four stories, three on each level. Boom, boom, boom. And so like, that's how you can still make money in a crowded market. So you have to figure out how to make money in a crowded market. Um, even if it's not crowded. And so like here, I drive around, I'm seeing vacant land there, vacant land there, vacant land there. But you know, the demand is here. You can tell the demand is here because the home prices are continuing to go up. The apartment rents are continuing to go up. And so you can come in and you can build something. You already know you have a built-in customer base because you probably have a lot of people who are frustrated living here who are living with their parents or renting when they don't want to rent. My barber, he is owns his own barbershop and doesn't own his own house yet. He is getting to that point yet. And it's actually kind of difficult now that he's a full-time entrepreneur to go that route. But um, like, that's what I'm noticing is um, you got to, and, and, and honestly, 
that's also the philosophy that I've been trying to convey to people in business. You don't got to be over here doing that. You don't got to be over there doing that. You don't got to be over there doing that. Bring it all in house. And I was listening to our last episode and I was like, that's what I try to convey to people. People look up to you and they don't realize like by partnering with you, they get to have you work for them. So like I said, Steve Ballmer works for Bill Gates, but Bill Gates also works for Steve Ballmer. And an example of that is this podcast. I've created probably about five episodes since the last time we talked. Imagine if you got people coming to five episodes and also seeing a Tweet Talk episode. But instead, we got Tweet Talk just over there being a little standalone thing. I also, like everything has to be merged in-house and you build up. What is up? Your money goes up. Your value goes up. That's how you get to the billion dollar things. Savage Fenty isn't just Rihanna's company. It's a collaboration. That was one of the things I was going to talk about. It's not just Fenty. It's not just Rihanna. No, she, who already had a very lucrative uh, brand, partnered with somebody else. Right. And quite honestly, I think Fenty's more like lingerie. Yeah, it is. Or like Savage Fenty, like the Savage Fenty brand is more like women's underwear lingerie, but Fenty was makeup and she was good with her makeup. She was doing well. She became a billionaire off of makeup and still partnered. I can't get motherfuckers to partner and they made $100,000. You're like, I made I made $100,000. I'm a six-figure nigga. <laughs> can't get nothing out of them no more. I'm like, bruh, it's so much more money to be made. You over here ruining relationships over pennies. You were in a relationship over a million dollars, over $2 million. You got folks over there, billionaires, and still partnering because they get it and they see it differently. And that's why you got to get with people who get it. And so, like, that's the thing is the collective energy is what wins. You don't need to be on the Supreme Court. You don't need to be the president. You don't need senators. You don't need nobody to vote for you. If you got collective energy, that's all you got to do is bring it all in. The reason why a lot of us won isn't because we had this great idea. It's because we went through an era where we were supporting each other. We went through an era and we were promoting each other and advertising each other and putting each other on. And it wasn't just like, oh, you get yours, my nigga. I'm going to get mine. Like me and Chris did well because me and Chris worked together. But I can't get nobody to work together. They, they, they want to be you. Maybe the better way to be me is to work with me as opposed to working against me. Because if you work against me or you work outside of me, I have to work against you by default. I don't even mean to. But I got to get you up out of the paint because this is my space. We can work together. We can work against each other. And it'd be more lucrative if we work together because I'm going to get you out of the space. That's what I do. I'm a very competitive person. Who? <laughs> what, what do you think about that, Raphael? Um, I agree, man. I, I, I can see. I'm thinking now about the shows we can put on Todd Kaplan, man. Like, make me imagine I could set up something with, with Dre so that you don't even have to be on. We could do it when, when you're busy. I could start setting up schedules where people know that every Monday at 7 o'clock, you see Andre Hatchet show, or every Tuesday you see Tweet Talk, or every Wednesday we got stock market thing with, with Jamal. And everybody wins that way. Everybody wins. I forgot what I was watching. Or thinking about, but it's like when we start working together, everybody wins. Everybody wins. I'm pretty sure you'd be happy with two hundred fifty thousand dollars, Raphael. I'm pretty sure two fifty would make be alright. Folks yeah. be like, if I ain't making the M, then I don't want to be associated with it. But bruh, <laughs> man, you're making nothing tw- right now. Right, you're making nothing right now. One of the tweets that I put out there is, I was like, man. Everybody wants to be Rashad, but nobody wants to be Troy. Nobody wants to be Troy, but there couldn't even be a Rashad if there wasn't a Troy. And so a lot of folks don't even get to that level because they don't got a Troy. You don't got a Troy and you don't got a Rashad, but you got to pair the two together. And somebody's like, you explain that to me. I was like, people still know Scotty Pippen. Really? People still know Dennis Rodman. People still know all those dudes on that team. They might have not been LeBron James, but everybody has respect for Scotty Pippen. Yeah. Everybody has respect for Scotty Pippen. Everybody has respect for Dennis Rodman. Everybody has respect for uh, Robert Ory, Derek Fisher. They weren't Kobe. They weren't Shaq, but they were on the team. 
Mm-hmm. They were they on win a team. Get on a team. Let's build a team, not a, another fucking job. That's how you that the difference between being self-employed and being a business owner is a team. Self-employed people do it all themselves. A business owner participates in a team. Yep. And he's not always even the best person on the team. Like right. Jordan didn't win without he never won without Scotty Pippen. Never. And the thing is, when Jordan retired, all of a sudden Scotty Pippen was the best player in the NBA. He was not. He, he was. He was. He was. Like immediately, like it wasn't like he took a couple of years to develop. As soon as Jordan retired, he was the best player in the NBA. That means how much talent was already there. He didn't just all of a sudden become so good. He was already good, but he played his role. He was playing the best offensive player on defense. He was he was scoring. He was doing. He was a people already knew he was a mate, but he went. He didn't win. He didn't win without Jordan. Jordan didn't win without him. He came close, but neither one of them won without each other. And imagine if, in theory, Oklahoma Thunder had stayed together. Because if you remember, they had Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and James Harden coming off the bench. Imagine if James Harden didn't run off. I don't think anybody can see James Harden winning the championship. And honestly, I don't know if Russell Westbrook is ever going to get it. But. I don't think they are. The only person who was championship caliber on that team has a ring. And he, he and he, he joined the player in the league. And he joined uh, um, a team that already won a championship. Yeah, I think. So, I think. Uh, I'm, yeah, yeah. And thinking about cities, when I saw you had that tweet, it reminded me of a book called "Thou Shall Prosper" by Rabbi Daniel Lappin. He talks about why is wealth built in cities. He talks about the Diamond District in New York. In New York City, there's a little strip, like two blocks, called a Diamond District on 47th Street. Every There's a Diamond store here. Right next to it is another Diamond store, another Diamond store, another Diamond store. And he's like, you would think with all this competition, everybody would be starving. He's like, no. So he's like saying, if, you, if you're not smart, you might think, well, I'll be better off opening up a Diamond jewelry store in like Idaho somewhere away from the competition. But he's like, no. You want to go on that little strip where everybody else is at because you get economy of scale, you get concentration of energy, all that kind of stuff because it's all there. You want to be where it's all happened. Also, I don't think it's true competition over there. I think they've been working together a little bit. They're not out there trying to take out the next man because there's a lot more community among other cultures where it's like, bro, like if I win and you lose, I didn't really win. I just created another liability. It's like if you're struggling and you're part of my community, then I got to figure out a way to help you win. I got to figure out uh, I'm, I'm losing. So, yeah. Plus, most of their regular customers off the street are not their own people anyway. I mean, they are. Uh, I mean, I've I've worked in New York. I've worked with Jewish people, and there are some wealthy people that they they buy the diamonds. Ain't no mm-hmm. doubt about that. But these diamond stores aren't they. They aren't just selling to their community. They're selling to everybody. They are selling to everybody. And one of the problems that we have is like a lot of times we work, even when we work with our own, we only work with our own. Or we only, we're only trying to sell to our own. And we're only like 13% of the population. So then we end up in competition with each other anyway, because we're trying to get rich selling just to our people. And that ain't going to work. I mean, it could work for some businesses, but it ain't going to work for all of us. Man. We got to sell to everybody, work with each other, but sell to everybody. Mm-hmm. So we, we can't just sell products that work for black people. You got to sell everything to everybody. You got a tweet where you said, a little money from a lot of people goes a long way. I don't know if people get that. I was, I was, so I was talking to my mom because my birth, my son's birthday is in three days and um, he's turning two and maybe it's because he's the only child, but this kid has everything. He has so much stuff. And I was like, I don't really, I was wondering why maybe I just wired differently, but I was like, what am I going to get him? What am I going to get him? And I couldn't think of anything to get him. 
And um, I was like, I don't, I don't want to get him any toys, like just so it can just kind of like be a toy. Plus everybody else is getting them toys. And I was like, I'm going to buy him some stock. And I think somebody might've recommended it to me on, on Instagram too. And then when that thought came to mind, I was like, that's crazy because that's one of the few gifts where he'll be wealthier after he receives it than less wealthy because you get a toy, you take it out the package, it's worth less um, mm-hmm. and soon to be worthless. And so with the stock, he'll always have it. And then what's cool is if we put it there and we forget about it and we invest it, now it's going to grow. It's going to um, become something a lot bigger in the future. And we're starting so young that it's cool. You know, a lot of times like people have these grand ideas like, oh, yeah, if you do this when your child's young, blah, 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 but they never do it. So it's like, how oh, we just do it? And then we have like my dad's uh, second wife. She always sends stuff for his birthday and for Christmas. And my grandma, she sends him stuff. And I was like, he already has so much stuff because honestly, my in-laws do a lot that it's like they can kind of take care of the fun stuff. Let's take care of the real stuff. Let's make sure that he has a lot of stuff. And so just like when we had the investment club and you would notice that 50 bucks from a bunch of people became a lot of money to invest. So 50 bucks from 50 people was $2,500. And it was like, they never even forgot. They, 50 bucks ain't nothing to a lot of people. And I was like, what if we treated our kids that way? What if we're like, all right, a bunch of people, we're just going to kick in what we got a little bit of here, a little bit there. And everybody got behind that. Like how much better off would our kids be? Because it doesn't hurt you, but it all goes into one place. And that person's so much better off because of that, especially if we put it into things that are going to grow and generate income. So now from the age two to 18, he's been getting $2,500 every birthday. Like, what does that look like? If it's invested, um, I could do the quick math. 2,500 times 16, 2,500 times 16, that's $40,000. That's $40,000 at 18. Not a lot of people have $40,000 at 18. And that's just, if we're just doing the bare minimum, like, okay, 2,500, blah, 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 blah. We do it that way. Like, let's say we do more, we kick in more because I mean, you can actually pay your kids about five grand a year. And so we do that, but it's just the, the thought of what can we accomplish if we all work together in a way that doesn't pull so much from a lot of people that yep. it still adds? And you could be sponsoring a lot of different kids. Like here's 25, 25, 25. I know every single month I'm giving a hundred bucks towards this cause. It's not difficult. It's not impossible. We just don't do it. And we suffer because we don't do it, but it's not difficult or impossible. And that's why other cultures are doing it and they reap the rewards of doing so. And that's $40,000 printable. That's not if you invest it, put it in some right spots and whatnot. Right. I mean, especially because yeah, a little bit from everybody, like you said, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt anybody. Like if it's if it's a small amount, it's like 25 bucks, 50 bucks. People gladly pull it out of their pocket. Like that's nothing to them. But then it it just adds up so quick. It adds up quickly too. You're surprised at how quickly it adds up. Because I really, when I saw that tweet, I really immediately thought of the, um, the Stock Investment Club, man. And you got people to move on that $25, $50 a month and built something big with that. Man, it was like, I've been thinking about it. It's like, man, I should I should start I should start that up again. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do with that kind of headache. I feel it needs to be done again. And it's like your other tweet say, you say, imagine how good our kids would be if instead of getting a bunch of toys, they got some toys, and then all the family just sent them cash to be invested. That's where we at. That's yeah. where we at. And it's so and it's so, I've already it's put so away a good amount of money for my son. Like he has a good amount of money in his TD account. A decent amount of money is a savings account. My parents actually opened up an account for him last Christmas. So he's good. But yeah, do both. 
And it, yeah, that's the thing you could do. You can do both. Buy your kids toys and get them a little stock. Yeah. It's so easy nowadays. You don't have to get them. You don't have to drop $500 worth of stock if you can't afford it. Because there's some people going to say, oh, the kids let them have their childhood, blah, 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 blah. But then who wants to buy kids a bunch of toys and then they just play with the box? Especially if they're really small. And then it's like, like I said, it's so easy. I remember a couple of years ago, somebody invited me to their their um baby shop, first baby birth, not baby shower first birthday party whatever and i bought him a toy he gave him like 20 bucks worth of stock it was easy a little gift card they remember the, i don't even i don't even remember the toy boy and they don't either but they always remember the stock or that in fact that you bought them stock so that's something to think about go to stock fund and get it a gift card for stock easy and then she would tell me what she was gonna buy some of these stocks and i was like ah, all that but then i didn't want to tell her what to do with it so you know like with kids man you have to create their reality um so it's like if you make investing seem like the cool thing to do they're going to become inspired and amped about investing and that's one of the things that i to my mom concerning like my niece and nephew is like if you see your mom watching tv all day you're gonna think that what we do is watch tv all day but if every day you come home and homework is an expectation and it's a non-negotiable and it gets done and it gets corrected. And then you go live your life. It'll become a like muscle memory. Like you won't even think there's anything else out there. Like for the longest time, I didn't really watch a lot of TV because my mom, she was always studying, always working and TV wasn't a big thing in our house. And so like, I had to get used to watching TV, especially when I went to college. And so um, I think that's one of the coolest things about having kids as, as compared to like friends is I got to convince my friends. I got to convince my kid. He just don't know. I mean, maybe I had to have to convince him a little bit, but like if I'm go the goal is to to get him when he's young and continue to kind of like feed into him. But yeah. Hey man, we're gonna start wrapping this up. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tweet Talk Pod. That's Tweet Talk P-O-D. Find myself on Twitter, Raphael at Work Money Life. Find my partner Charles at Real Todd Billion. That's two D's. Follow us on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast. From a partner, follow the parent company at Todd.Capital. Be sure to follow us on YouTube at Todd, Todd Capital. All Todd Capital all day, every day. We're going to start bringing you all these shows. We're going to leave you all with one last tweet. I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but you had a tweet reset. The thing about saving for the future is now is the future. Episode 123 of Tweet Talk, the Black Wealth Podcast. Your hosts, Raphael and Charles, we are out. Yeah. Yes, this is Donald, the voice, the official podcast editor and producer of the Tweet Talk podcast featuring, of course, Charles Oglesby and the man Raphael Husbands. And look, man, if you just listen to this episode, then you know exactly what I'm capable of. You know my swag. You know what I can do. And so without any further ado, I kind of want to give you a special offer for Tweet Talk podcast episode listeners. And here's what it is. Head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And if you have podcasts or video editing needs, let's talk. And of course, I'm give you a real, real nice deal. But you have to mention that you're a Tweet Talk podcast listener. And this offer isn't going to last forever. So if you're on social media or you have a business or you got something going on to where you need somebody to edit and produce your content, come and holla at your boy. And I promise to take care of you, our dedicated listener to the Tweet Talk podcast. Again, head over to DonaldTheVoice.com and hit the contact page and let's have a little conversation. Okay, back to your day, your evening, your morning, whatever's going on. Peace.